Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. So welcome to the Word on the Street podcast. There's a lot of different things happening in the markets at the moment across all corners of the world. So this week, I'm joined by Will to provide some insights for investors. So, Will, I wanted to start with inflation. We had some U.S. inflation data out this week. Can you tell us a little bit more about what this means and why it sent the stock market so much lower on the day? Yes, you're right, Sarah. So, I mean, a, a bit of context. You know, one, uh, as we've been discussing on this podcast for some time now, one of the big debates in the world economy at the moment surrounds the amount of pain central bankers will have to afflict, inflict frankly, on all of us, uh, in order on, on the world economy in order to bring inflation to heel. Now, over the summer, earlier in the summer, we saw many investors uh, looking for, even thinking they could see, uh, you know, cause for an imminent pivot. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, a moment when the major central banks could start to call a kind of ceasefire uh, on the battle to contain inflation and to, you know, stop uh, raising interest rates so quickly. So you saw a sharp bounce in risk assets as a result, stocks, particularly those that have been beaten up in this um, uh, rising real end, uh, interest rate trend, they did well. Now, as you know, we long thought that that was, you know, that was probably too early. And the last couple of weeks has proved as much. There is, as this CPI, the inflation print you allude to in the US, uh, suggests there's potentially still some way to go. You know, short interest rates will continue to have to rise uh, very sharply, in our opinion, against across much of the developed world. We've just seen 75 basis points from the ECB. We may even see 100 basis points from the Federal Reserve next. Uh, and the UK is still, you know, expected to do uh, a very, uh, you know, a sizable 50 basis point move uh, incoming. So like, there's, a, there's, there's still more to go on this, uh, one suspects. But I've read a few articles suggesting there's still a path to a soft landing for the US, or at least not a major recession that some people have been predicting over the next 12 months. What's your views on that, Will? Um, yes, there is. Uh, that is true, Sarah. And, uh, you know, and obviously important for all of us as the US still sets the weather for the for the global economy. It's just really sort of how big a chance that is, that soft landing is and how big a chance, you know, it's really sort of trying to assess the probabilities. And it's not necessarily binary either. Obviously, it's not just deep recession or soft landing. There's all sorts of things in between. The debate here can get a little bit technical, but it basically hinges on differing interpretations of what's going on in the US labor market, uh, you know, the employment context. On the one side, you've got the sort of soft landing camp. Uh, the argument here is that you can take a lot of the heat out of the labour market and therefore inflation by companies reducing the number of open positions advertised as yet unfilled jobs, but not necessarily making people redundant. This is important if you think about it, because at the moment, what you have is and have had for a few months now is nearly two uh, open positions for every person looking for work. And that is seen as conferring significant bargaining power on workers. Uh, and that sort of explains why wages or seen by some to explain why wages rose at such a brisk pace over Q3. And that is one of the things that got the Federal Reserve uh, and other central banks worried. The other side, the more pessimistic camp are a group who see the need for unemployment, actual unemployment to rise quite sharply in order to bring inflation down to more manageable uh, levels. And this, the reason why it's technical, because it all sort of centers around this relationship between growth, inflation, um, unemployment. Thinking about it in the way that I think about it, sort of slightly simpler terms, non-academic terms, 
that car analogy, which I often talk about, it's a bad analogy for the global economy or US economy. But if the engine is overheating in your car, or you might see this as inflation, you need to slow down to drive it at a more sustainable pace, one that doesn't over overheat your engine. That's easy in a car, but in an economy, that optimal speed of travel is unobservable and most importantly, ever changing. So the central banks have a really tough job here. Now, the gloomier bunch are actually arguing that the optimal speed of travel for the US economy has changed substantially. It's a lot slower uh, because lots of people who have been sucked out of the labor market during the pandemic and uh, various other uh, influences, um, they're doing so for actually more structural reasons, uh, more permanent reasons. So rather than 3.7%, the current unemployment rate, roughly speaking, I think, that unemployment rate needs to rise to 5% so that the economy's demand is better matched up to the economy's uh, ability to uh, supply goods, services, and so on, which is, you know, that's what inflation is about, isn't it? It's aggregate demand swamping aggregate supply, basically. Does that make any sense? I hope so. Yeah, I think it does. Thanks, Will. Um, I'm going to move on to another tough question or hard one to unpack. Can you tell us a little bit about the surge in US dollar? Does that spell trouble for the rest of the world? Well, yes, I mean, it's one of the really notable trends of the last uh, quarter. It appears to be, and again, I'm at risk of seriously oversimplifying here, but it appears to be a function primarily of the fact that the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates more briskly than much of the rest of the world. The US economy entered this latest crisis, entered the year running at a much faster pace uh, with significantly greater momentum than many other of its developed peers. There's also an element of safe haven status uh, at the dollar in times of uh, in times of stress. You know, the Federal Reserve remains very much the world's central bank. Uh, what does it mean? Well, this this is uh, uh, this is a podcast on its own, in truth, but uh, and we want to keep this one brief. So I, I think we'll get JP in the light of the real experts to really talk to it. But there is quite good evidence uh, to suggest that a rising dollar can play a role in global slowdowns. Some of that in the past can be linked to the rising dollar's effect on certain lower income countries who essentially are forced to import U.S. Uh, monetary policy, many of these countries, some of the companies, the private sector borrow in dollars, they're forced to import uh, US monetary policy without the sort of domestic robustness to handle it. Uh, so that's certainly something that people are watching right now. It's just one of the many things that people are watching right now. But like I say, we'll get more detail on this in the coming weeks so that you can have a proper sort of deep dive on what is a very, very important subject. Maybe now we could move on to China. So the news there on the latest COVID outbreak does not seem to be getting any better. And also there's continued problems with the Chinese property markets. What can you tell us about those issues? Yes, I mean, here's another one which, you know, requires a whole podcast. But, uh, you know, China's economy, I think, is, is, is uh, yeah, sadly, like many others, is in severe difficulty at the moment with no easy outs. Part of this is the continued application of zero COVID policies with some adjustments amidst you know, much more transmissible variants that we are well familiar with over here and a, and a lower vaccination rate than optimal amongst elderly and vulnerable groups. However, I think the main story here, like you say, is, is the property bubble, which, you know, policymakers have been trying to deflate in orderly fashion. But that is obviously more than challenging. And remember, you know, a private sector property system has really emerged out of nowhere in the space of a few decades. And the size and speed are, you know, simply just very hard to comprehend, to get your head around. A good statistic, I think, that summarizes some of it, I think, is that China is thought to have poured more concrete into the ground in three years during the 2010s uh, than the U.S. did in the entire 20th century. Anyway, 
I think the point for us before we get, uh, you know, Rob Mansell back to cover in more detail um, is that China has challenges of its own at the moment. Uh, it remains nonetheless an important part of a diversified fund or portfolio. It, there's simply too much incredible opportunity over the next five, 10 years of investable opportunity as well for it not to be. However, right now we are a little bit more cautious. The team are a little bit cautious uh, on the short term outlook for China and actually emerging markets in this context. And we are positioned in our funds and portfolios accordingly. So last week, you briefly reflected on the announcement from the new UK government on the energy price caps, but we were recorded as it was released. So have you got anything more to say on it? And also what might be coming up next week? Yes, you know, so we should, I think we, we've got an emergency budget next Friday. So we'll hopefully try and cover that in next week's, uh, next week's word on the street. But there is a lot going on in the UK at the moment. However, the sense is that this is kind of a good use of public balance sheet. Uh, you know, soaring food and energy bills are by their nature regressive. They inflict, you know, the most pain on the poorest households because these are the households where more of their disposable income is swallowed by these essentials. You know, so, so being able to, you know, press out uh, or or flatten the path of inflation ahead is, is very useful, both for the Bank of England and, uh, you know, and households in the UK. The path ahead still remains pretty complicated for UK policymakers. But I think, like I say, we'll get Olivia back to help on what we'll see in the budget. But it, the, the operating space for the UK government is pretty limited by the fact that, you know, events are sort of dictating quite a lot of the making quite a lot of the, uh, the, the the weather again. So maybe moving from the UK to continental Europe, is the story similar there? Uh, yes and no. I mean, the UK, in a somewhat similar way to the US, has an overheating uh, labour market, sort of also influencing price pressures. Uh, in fact, fact, the later date, latest data have unemployment back at sort of 1974 levels. That should be a good thing. But, you know, unfortunately, in this situation, it's coming about from falling participation in the labour force with... Uh, that's happening across sort of age cohorts. And some of it's about, you know, sadly about long-term sickness. Some of it's about further education, which is a little bit more optimistic. Europe has less of the labour market heat, but it obviously is on the sort of front line of the energy crisis. The good news in Europe, I, you know, in part has been that there has been a steady buildup of winter fuel capacity. So your northeast Europe gas market storage is up, I think, 84% as of uh, the 10th of September and expected to be, you know, mid-90s in percentage terms from November, uh, which is useful kind of insulation uh, given what's sort of, you know, going the uncertainty of energy supply ahead. There's also kind of progress. They're making progress. Policymakers have been making progress on sort of reducing dependency on single suppliers with regards to gas and oil. It's still a very challenging outlook. I say that again. But, you know, there are some important pro bits of progress uh, on some important aspects. And I think we can say that more broadly. I don't want to be too gloomy on this call. This feels like a very downbeat economic update. But I think although the sort of short term outlook for the global economy remains very challenging, you know, some of those policy measures are certainly, you know, looking to looking to be helpful and mitigating some of the sort of worst case scenarios that some people were beginning to imagine. Thanks, Bill. Is there? Do you have any tips for investors amongst all this as we leave? Oh gosh, yes, it's it, it it is. You know, we know this internally. It's an incredibly challenging time to keep your cool in amongst everything that's going on, both at home and abroad. Decades of action crammed into um, days. Uh, you know, we benefit, uh, you and I benefit from, you know, being surrounded by high quality focused investment professionals and experts to kind of do all bits of the, the job. And that's, you know, obviously what we're, we're providing to clients. So you should be reassured by that. Um, this is not something you, you know, that, that, um, 
that is easy to do on your own. And I think the best advice really is just to stick with it. Uh, what will drive your long-term investment outcomes is not the many things competing for headline media space today around the world. It is still the technological advances on the visible horizon and how we use humankind, use those advances to further increase our collective productivity and living standards. You know, one thing this year has done is cheapen the ticket to access all of that future innovation. But for long-term investors, that shouldn't worry you. You know, stick with it and, and don't look too much. Uh, keep in mind also, I think that, um, you know, you don't want to extrapolate onwards and downwards when the world looks kind of so on when that you know there's so much uncertainty around that it feels like the sort of news is uh, full of only bad news often you can find that these moments are not uh, catalysts for further sort of descents in productivity or living standards that's not been the case over the last uh, several centuries actually that often you can find these moments of tumult and, and difficulty can be uh, catapults for the next you know surge in living standards and life expectancy which investment portfolios and funds are designed to, to profit from. That's because, um, you know, we've generally been good at finding the answers over time, not before a few wrong steps. But I think, you know, keep in mind that that's what you're aiming to profit from is you know, humankind's incredible ingenuity and ability to answer whatever questions have come our way over time. Uh, they're not often, often easy to see from our current vantage point, but uh, history is often a good guide to, to what we can expect on that front. Well, thank you, Will. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another Word on the Street. Look forward to chatting again next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.